Reds legend Tom Browning, a Reds Hall of Famer and part of the 1990 Wire to Wire World Championship team, passed away this week in his home in Northern Kentucky. We'll take a look back at the career of the Reds' original Bulldog. A little bit later, we're going to look at Jake Fraley and how we think the Reds can best use him and pair him with someone to create a productive outfield in 2023. We've got all that and more on today's Locked on Reds. Let's go. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker. We are lifelong Cincinnati Reds fans that have turned an addiction to this team into information for you. Locked On Reds is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks, as always, for making us your first listen. We are free and available on all platforms. On today's podcast, we are going to remember one of the legends of the Cincinnati Reds franchise as we look back at Mr. Perfect, his career, um, and, and what he has really meant to Reds fans everywhere through his performances and some of his performances off the field as well. Uh, we're also going to look at a dude who really kind of blossomed in front of our eyes last year in the outfield, and that's Jake Fraley and what rake means for the future of this outfield and exactly how the Reds can best utilize him, a.k.a. don't throw him out there every day against uh, left-handed pitching. But we'll get more into that coming up here in just a minute. Steve, where we want to start is with – uh, the sad news of the day, unfortunately, we got the news uh, very surprising uh, just a couple of days ago that Tom Browning had passed. Uh, hate to hear that. He was a guy that, uh, although I cannot like specifically remember watching him pitch just because a little baby whenever he was pitching and stuff like that I, I still remember some of the awesome stories that i got to hear about him and and getting to read about him and i mean obviously only dude to ever throw a perfect game for the cincinnati reds you gotta love that yeah we'll get into that uh people remember part a little bit because tom talked about that a lot when he did interviews especially when he did interviews talking about that perfect game that you just mentioned but let's 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 talk about his career in cincinnati because i think people may not necessarily understand if they didn't watch him pitch you know, what he brought to this team and what and and what he brought as a major league pitcher you know he pitched 11 years in cincinnati jeff during that time he went 123 and 88 he had a 3.94 era uh, came close to 2000 innings pitch for the reds he had 1921 during that time he struck out 1000 and he walked 511 now this is back in a time where there weren't as many power pitchers and every guy wasn't throwing maximum effort at a hundred, but you know, Tom went out there and got the job done. And as a matter of fact, he was, you know, a model of consistency uh, in 1986, Jeff, uh, his 1986 season, he started 39 games for the reds. In fact, in his career, six times, six different seasons, he started 35 games or more in a season, you know, it, it, it's pretty remarkable when you compare it to today's pitchers uh, that he was able to do that. You know, you look at the amount of innings pitched and, and you know, I've, I say my piece about innings pitch because I guarantee you, if you look at the amount of pitches thrown back then versus now, there's there's a marked difference in those totals. Right. But for innings pitched uh, his first full season 
in the major leagues. His first full season as a member of the Reds in their rotation. He started 38 games and he threw 261 and a third innings. Now think about that. We were talking about, oh, we need to make sure Nick Lodolo doesn't cross over that mythical, magical 130 innings pitch mark. Right. Tom Browning, 261 and a third innings pitched in his rookie year. I just imagine him sitting by and like hearing some different analysis on, on how teams are supposed to handle rookie pitching nowadays, and he's just going... <sighs> yep. <clears throat> That's about half as much as I threw in my rookie season. But <laughs> it's it's a different ball game and nowadays, but you're right. I mean, if if, if we would have seen Nick Lodolo or, or Hunter Green go out and throw 260 innings this year, what would have the first thought have been for us? Like, what are you trying to do to this guy? Tom Browning, not that way. I mean, he built his career around being that bulldog. And I think that that's important to kind of uh, no, like that is such a term of endearment for any pitcher on any team that I almost think we throw it around a little bit when, when you're talking about a dude who, you know, maybe only throws like five or six innings. I, I, I think of a bulldog as a guy who eats those innings and sure it doesn't look pretty, but he keeps his team ahead. You know, you mentioned off air when we were getting ready for this, that, you know, you don't have many memories of Tom Browning. Pitching, you know, you're a little bit, just a skosh, yeah. tiny little bit, small amount younger than me. And, you know, so I, I do, I, I have fond memories of, of Tom Browning pitch. And for those that never got to watch him pitch, really watch him pitch. I think a good descriptor, a good way to, to, for you to imagine is to think of a peak Wade Miley. They were very, very similar pitchers. Uh, they worked fast. They were, they were, you know, interesting characters on game day. They were interesting characters, not on game day, uh, but you know, they wanted the ball. They wanted to work. They didn't like it when batters screwed with them. Uh, they could get through a game in a couple hours. In fact, his perfect game only took a couple hours. And, and that was after him waiting out a rain delay. You, you gotta love that. And I mean, the all-star year in 1991, I was like, you know, two years old. So I would have barely, right. Actually I was less than two years old. Cause that one, that was before October. So yeah, like year and a half old whenever that happened. So I didn't get the chance to really witness the greatness that he had for this team. And he's always a guy that I feel like we, we hear him brought up in conversations when we talk about, him. we did this just a couple of weeks ago, whenever Bronson Royo was elected to the Reds hall of fame, when we talk about the best pitchers in franchise history, and he's always a guy that kind of comes up, you know, I, after Mario Soto, after Jose Rijo, um, after Johnny Cueto, and you probably get into like the Luis Castillo range when you're just like, okay, well, the longevity that he had for this team up until his injury really puts him high up on that list. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves, especially when you look at that yeah. 1990 World Series team. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Jose Rio. Everybody talks about the Nasty Boys. You know, everybody talks about uh, the first half that Jack Armstrong and Danny Jackson had in that rotation. But Tom Browning, Again, the model of consistency in 1990, uh, 3.80 ERA. He started 35 games, pitched 227 and two-thirds innings, Jeff. Uh, he was he was quite the guy. He, he just kind of went out and got it done. Uh, you could count on him to take his turn and, and get you a, a lot of innings. 
And I love uh, kind of like you have noted here in the rundown, like what he would say about that perfect game, because let's be honest, anytime something big in Cincinnati happens sports wise, I think we found out that the attendance for that event was somewhere between 150,000. And as many people showed up in Buenos Aires to celebrate the World Cup. It's true. Uh, Tom would talk about this. The, the number of people that would come up to him and say that they were there, you know, would have sold out Riverfront Stadium five or six times. Uh, the fact of the matter is almost nobody was there. As I mentioned, this game was a rain delay. It didn't even start till like 10 o'clock at night. Uh, you know, Tom had come to the ballpark. It started raining. It drug out. He was irritated. Finally, at about 10 o'clock, they started the game. Uh, Tom goes out, throws the perfect game, the only perfect game in red's history and uh, if if the person was not telling tom that they were there they were telling tom they watched it on tv this game was not televised the only footage of the perfect <laughs> game that we have is the bad overhead home plate view at riverfront stadium that they would use for the replay board in stadium that's the only video we have of tom browning's perfect game it was not on tv now you know people you know i think people recall seeing that bad stadium overhead video many of us heard you know marty's call of it some of us after the fact listen guys i was 11 years old when this happened i was long in bed by the time tom browning completed that perfect game uh, but you know we've heard the radio call we've seen the overhead views of it um it's because the only reds perfect game kind of burned into our psyche and i can see how people kind of feel like they were there but it just cracks me up uh you know tom would always say the the number of people that came up to him and said they were there well, something that's just as legendary as the perfect game, and I, I've heard so many different angles on this, getting to talk to some folks who are around the the team, and and I, I love different stories from like that Yid told me and, and different people who covered the Reds back then. But when uh, Tom Browning showed up on the rooftops of Wrigley Field, the rooftops of the buildings across from Wrigley Field, and, and all that stuff, like that, that was such a moment that. Like through all the different stories, I kind of it, it was something I wish I had witnessed because that would just be like a moment of like the game itself doesn't even matter at that point. We got to frame this up a little bit. So you're talking about uh, the Reds at the Cubs in the summer of 1993. And at the time, uh, the rooftops at Wrigley were all just privately owned apartment buildings since then the cubs have bought a bunch of those buildings there's actually stadium seating on top of some of those buildings but during this time these were privately owned buildings that people that rented apartments in these buildings would go up on the rooftop during the cubs games and have a party they would just be having a major kegger across the street of waveland avenue watching the cubs games so browning sitting out in the reds bullpen decides one day hey cover for me I'm going across the street. Look for me over there in this inning. And so then we get the the famous photo that I think is probably, you know, as much a Reds legend as Tom Browning is himself for the YouTube viewers. We're going to bring it up on the screen right now. Uh, if you're on the audio feeds, go Google this. Tom Browning rooftops at Wrigley. So this is during the game uh, <laughs> between the Cubs and the Reds. There, There is the Bulldog himself over on the rooftops partying it up in full uniform with the cubby faithful across waveland avenue i love it uh this is not the only uh wild moment that tom browning experienced in game uh jeff i i bring you to uh game two of the 1990 world series uh, as the cincinnati reds take on the mighty oakland athletics uh, as you know that game goes extra innings 
uh, in game two uh, and ultimately is won by uh, Joe Oliver uh, sing- singling, doubling home, a doubling home, Billy Bates from second base. Mm-hmm. And the funny part about that is uh, that particular night, Tom Browning's wife went into labor and was at the hospital in Cincinnati. So he wasn't pitching. He was just at the game. So he left and didn't tell anybody. He just went to the <laughs> went to the hospital so game goes extra innings and Lou Pinella is looking around for Tom Browning he's going to use Tom Browning to pitch the extra innings if if it goes past the 10th so he's looking for Browning can't find him finally somebody tells you know sweet Lou hey Tom's wife went into labor he went to the hospital Pinella sends a runner up to the radio booth and has Marty and Joe on the air calling for Tom Browning to return to the stadium he needs to pitch and so I guess somebody at the hospital when the wife is in labor has the game on, has the radio playing and like, hey, hey Tom, they're asking for you to come back. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And I think he probably made the right call because you want to talk about a ticked off wife. I, I think that yeah. would be a ticked off, ticked off wife in that moment. Yeah, you got your fancy World Series, but this is important. No, no, that uh, that's an awesome story. And, you know, he is a Reds, the Reds legend. Uh, that we're all going to miss. And I, I just, I do wish I had more memories of him, but, you know, rest in peace to Mr. Perfect. Exactly. Rest in peace to Mr. Perfect. All right, Jeff. Last year, we saw Jake Fraley grow into a possible contributor for a successful Reds team in 2023 and beyond. Uh, we're going to explain why we think he's going to be a valuable part of this team coming up next. But before we talk about that, I want to talk about today's podcast sponsor. This this podcast is sponsored in part by Bet Online. Uh, folks over at Bet Online uh, set the line for this coming Bengals game this Sunday. They opened as four point road favorites in Saturday. New England against. Oh, is that Saturday? I'm New or Christmas Eve. Yeah, Christmas Eve. Oh, Saturday. my God. I'm glad you said something. I would totally miss the game. All right. This Saturday, uh, the Bengals opened as four point favorites against the hoodie and the New England Patriots. I jumped all over that already. I'm not sure if that line has moved yet, but if you want to find out about the line or uh, the latest on player developments, team matchups, news, in-depth articles, analysis, bet online has all of that for you on every game that you can find as always bet online remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information. They've got live betting and up to the minute scores for every sport that's out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events. Uh, they've got MLB futures for you to play around with right now. They've got the MMA, they've got boxing. Uh, they're going to have golf. And I, I talk about this all the time. I really need to figure out exactly how we're betting on golf and, and what the, what the, uh, the prop bets look like. Uh, and if you want to find out about that, you can head to betonline.net right now using your mobile device or your computer to learn more because bet online is where the game starts. All right, coming up later this week, we are going to continue to look at this outfield and we will try and figure out, maybe infer wildly even, what the value of Stuart Fairchild might be in 2023. But before we get to Fairchild, we got a lot of territory to cover with Jeff's favorite player, Rake Fraley, as he likes to call him. That's Jake Fraley for the rest of us. But, you know, Jeff, he gets excited. Jeff, I love you know, Rake. Fraley, I, I got to tell you, I, 
before he went on the injured list, before he went down to Louisville, I wasn't really sure about what he was going to contribute to this team. Uh, he goes to Louisville. He, he puts in the time. He puts in the work. You know, he actually spends more time down there than than I thought he was going to. And then when he comes back, you know, he's a different guy. And he talks about the fact that, you know, he worked on changing some things. He talks about the fact that he spent time in Louisville getting his head right. He talked about how he had some mental challenges going along with the physical challenges. And he wasn't shy about telling us that he sought out people to work with to help correct those issues as well. And when he came back to the majors, he was a solid contributor for a team that really needed some solid contributors at that point. Absolutely. And and you're exactly right. I mean, overall, his season was pretty good. I mean, his OPS plus was 118. So, you know, he's 18% above league average. And that's the entire picture. The picture got way better looking after that injury and after that time in triple a but even still for the entire year he got on base over 34 percent of the time he had 12 dingers like this is a dude that i think at the beginning of the year especially from that trade i was sending jesse winker and eugenio suarez to to seattle and, and getting him back as well as you know a couple of other guys there you're like all right, what are we really getting in Jake Fraley? And we heard fourth outfielder and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, great. This roster is full of fourth outfielders. But I think that as far as the power rankings go, he is absolutely the best outfielder that they currently have. And, and a lot of that has to do with his bat. And let's really focus in on that time that we said after he's hurt, after he's in AAA and he returns, he comes back July 30th through the end of the season and he just absolutely blows up 295 batting average 377 on base and he slugged 526 that is a beautiful slash line oh i'll take that uh every day uh, through the course of a season you know uh he hit 11 of his 12 home runs during that time period also jeff uh it's here's the thing with him and i know you've got uh, you want to focus in on his offense and i'm going to let you do that but I wonder, do you consider him a defensive liability? If he's going to be the man in one of these outfield spots, and I, I got to think that you're looking at him as a, a platoon candidate, uh, yeah. but is is he a defensive liability when he's in the field? I think that's, that's a really good question because the numbers do say that he kind of trends that direction. I wouldn't say that he is bad but he's definitely below average he's not a average fielder he actually had a negative outs above average negative two and he was negative six on defensive runs saved and just for reference because you know fielding statistics can be a little funny let's compare him to a guy who spent probably a comparable amount of time on the roster for the reds and that's albert almora who in the field actually was really good he was plus six outs above average and plus eight defensive run same now for everything defensively that he was uh albert armora was not at the plate so there, there's a huge difference between these two guys for that reason but i do agree i mean the thing with jake fraley is he has to be put in good position to succeed this year he is not ready to be an everyday guy just yet but i i i see the makings of a dude who could be an everyday contributor you know, I mentioned the platoon because he really did some damage against right-handed pitching. Uh, he, oh, yeah. he didn't mess around. Let's talk about the slash line. 277, 361, 5 
100 with 11 of his 12 home runs all against right-handed pitching. Uh, I think that uh, it's safe to say that the Reds probably do go with a platoon in all of the outfield positions, at least two of the three. And when you've got a right-handed pitcher on the mound, I think that that at least offensively, Jake Fraley can rank right up there, you know, in the, in the top 10 guys of major league baseball, as far as offensive production is concerned against right-handed pitching. Yeah. I think that it's important to note that the platoon idea is definitely something that's going to work this year. And it's highly possible. I don't necessarily know that I totally agree with this because I think that the reds should definitely explore right-handed outfield options, but Nick Solak, the guy they just requ- just acquired like about a couple of weeks ago from the Rangers, is a right-handed bat and can play the corner outfield position. So you look at him, you look at Fairchild, you look at Senzel, those are your right-handed outfielders. You got Friedel and Fraley. You might need another lefty if you're going to go straight platoon in all three positions, but none of these guys, and I even include Nick Senzel in this, none of these guys have shown they can play every single day against righty or lefty. So that makes me wonder a little bit. You mentioned, you know, just as good as he is against right-handed pitching, Jake Fraley struggles mightily. Like I, 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 don't use this term lightly and throw it around, but honestly, his statistics were garbage against left-handed pitching. He hit a buck 42 and he had a 250 slugging. Like that's nothing. Yeah. Of course, like we said, 11 and 12 against righties for his home runs, which means he only had one home run against left-handed pitching all year long. Well, he's definitely a guy that we're going to see more of. And I think that uh, he's going to be productive. I I really do. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, when he came over in this trade, I know that a lot of us kind of rolled our eyes, but apparently, you know, Nick crawl saw something saw the potential that he had in the correct situations uh, to be a contributor for this team. And just looking at his numbers and and talking about uh, what he can do if utilized correctly, you know, I'm excited to see him get more playing time and I'm excited to see what he can do uh, through an entire season uh, being healthy uh, in a platoon role for the Reds in 2023. And, And I still think that he has the makings of a kind of player who can be a contributor for the Reds whenever they are successful again. But again, as of right now, you have to consider the situation. And and that's really David Bell's job. Like they got to put together a roster that David Bell can utilize these sort of things, but take advantage of the matchups. If it's a right-handed pitcher, which the Reds face majority. I mean, every team faces a majority of right-handed pitching. So it's not as if we were saying it's a 50-50 split here. But if there's a lefty on the mound, look at somebody else or, or, or you know if, if you put him in the lineup uh probably don't bat him fourth against the left-handed pitch you, know, you you need to maximize his opportunities here you're, you're absolutely right i'm excited to see growth from him in 2023 but for that growth to occur you hit the nail on the head david bell needs to put him in a position to succeed and that means unfortunately he needs to sit against left-handed pitchers all year long so If Jake Fraley can't go against lefties, the Reds need a platoon partner for him. And I have an idea of who that could be. We'll dive into that here in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I wanted to uh, let you know, like with this holiday season, uh, be careful out there. Look, you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening goes along and and people start to head out, you think for calling for a ride, but then you're like, nah, 
you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you're thinking that you're okay to drive after having a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. You can follow the podcast on all platforms, including right here on YouTube. Thank you so much. If this is your first time watching us, make sure you click that subscribe button and click the bell to get notified whenever we have new content for you. As we move through the off season here, we are about three to four episodes a week. Normally we're a five episode a week podcast, but up until pitchers and catchers report, we're kind of on a truncated off season schedule, but keep it right here. We're going to have content all through the off season. And as news breaks, we're going to be right here with you on the lockdown reds podcast. Also make sure you follow us on Twitter in between episodes. We like to uh, present some ideas and thoughts and takes about the reds and the Bengals and other things going on. Uh, you can follow Steve at S Offenbaker with two F's. You can follow me at Jeff Carr with three F's and you can follow the show at Lockdown Reds. There's, there's no F's in that Twitter. handle. All right, Steve, uh, we've been talking a lot here recently about potential right-handed outfield bats, guys who could play in a platoon uh, with TJ Friedel or Jake Fraley. And I know that we have mentioned there are some right-handed hitters in this outfield, but I feel like the Reds need to add to that talent pool. We don't need to just rely on Nick Solak, Nick Senzel, and um, Stuart Fairchild to be the only guys who are available to the Reds. And we've talked a bit about bringing back Adam Duvall. Now, before we talk about the profile as to why, I also have another idea as to who the Reds could look at. But let's first start with um, why we think Adam Duvall would be a good option. All right. Well, just first of all, Adam Duvall coming back to Cincinnati is another one of those stories that the front office and the ownership and the media are all going to like a little bit just because it's a name that's going to draw some interest. It's a name the casual fan is going to know. Uh, it's a name that, you know, for I feel like I'm going to be like grandpa in the rocking chair right now, but takes us back to a kinder and gentler time of Cincinnati sports when, you know, everybody loved the Reds and nobody was trying to figure out where they're going to go. Uh, you know, Adam Duvall does all of those things. Adam Duvall is productive. He plays well at great American ballpark. He's a, he's a decent defensive outfielder and you know, the fans love him. So for all of those reasons, he's, he's a great natural fit to be one of the, you know, you know, platoon split guys in the Cincinnati Reds outfield in 2023. And he's got a good arm to boot, pretty good fielder out there in the outfield. So with that, I was looking at his, uh, his, his expectation on spot track, the website that I like to use to track different free agents and things like that. According to spot track, his market value is slightly over $6 million. 
There's another player out there, though, that I think the Reds could get for a little bit cheaper. Now, I'm not advocating for the Reds to be cheap here, but I'm also going to throw some numbers at you, Steve, because this dude who might be cheaper also might be better, at least at the plate. I I didn't necessarily dissect his defensive numbers, but let's do a blind comparison, all right? Player A and player B. Both these guys, this is their stats against left-handed pitching specifically last year. Player A had 17 hits and 16 home runs in 73 at-bats. He had a slash line of a 233 batting average, a 282 on base, and 562 slugging. You'll love to see that slugging percentage. And he made over a little over $9 million last year. Player B Against left-handed pitching, he had 122 at-bats with 39 hits, one home run, but he had 12 doubles. He also had 25 walks compared to 36 strikeouts. And here's the slash line for the player B. 320 batting average, 436 on base, 443 slugging. So slugging, not as good as player A. Everything else is way better. And he made exactly $5 million last year. Player A, I think you know because we've already mentioned who it is. Player B is Robbie Grossman. Robbie Grossman is a dude. He's actually a switch hitter. He's not a straight right-handed hitter, but he is a switch hitting outfield option. Now, he would be a corner outfield option. He's not playing center field, but he absolutely mashed lefties last year and he did it in a larger sample size and he did it overall i think better now again we talked about the slugging adam duvall had six home runs against lefties grossman only had one home run but i think overall if the reds could go out and get robbie grossman i think that that is a more attractive at least hitting platoon option uh for jake fraley you know i tend to agree with you and and just so people aren't confused you said 17 hits and 16 home runs for Adam Duvall. Six six home runs. Oh, I did. You, you, oh. Yeah, you you cleaned it up there at the end. But uh, six I know if, if, if a guy is hitting seven, 16 home runs and 17 hits, I'm saying sign him to be a pinch hitter. a lot of numbers on here. There's too many. I know. No, I'm with you, Jeff. I think player B here in the case you're, you're saying is Grossman. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, listen, I understand that, you know, slugging is sexy a lot of the time and mm-hmm. you, you want guys that can go yard, but you need people that can get on base, especially with the way major league baseball continues to tinker with the rules and is trying to encourage a running game and, and, and get guys on base, you know, uh, drift maybe back towards not quite all the way to, uh, get them on, get them over, get them in. So for me, I'm looking at guys that have high on base percentages and that, you know, can hit for a little bit of average. And I think that, you know, 320, 436 fits that bill, especially for a guy that you're going to put in a platoon situation. You're going to maximize the effect you get from a matchup and you're going to, you know, you know, put the emphasis on playing the analytics a little bit uh, versus just running a guy out there every day. So 
all that being said, yeah, I, I like player B from a statistical standpoint, from what he would probably bring to one of these platoons. Uh, I agree with you. Player B is probably a better fit than player A. Uh, I counter you with this. The Reds need more than one outfielder. Let's go get both because we still mm-hmm. haven't quite figured out, you know, what all these platoons are going to look like. And we haven't figured out uh, if everybody's going to be healthy this year. Uh, <laughs> recent data suggests we're going to need some extra <laughs> guys. So I say, go out and get both because then you still get the feel-good story that is the adam duvall reunion you still get useful talented players in a platoon that would be a grossman signing Uh, and at the end of the day uh you only spend you know 10 15 million dollars to get both of those guys and you know as we've talked about all season long they're at 70 million dollars in payroll right now uh and nick crawl bless his heart looked at a camera and said hey we have a little bit of money to spend. So spend it. Bring them both. That's a little bit right there. Just a little bit when you're talking about these two players. And, and let's also set the expectation here. We're talking about platoon options because we still need to see more from Drake Fraley. I would like to see some more from TJ Friedel. Wouldn't mind to see some more from Stuart Fairchild and guys like that. This is still a year where, yes, we hope they kind of catch lightning in a bottle, but I think the main plan coming into 2023 is still a bit of evaluation. So are these guys going to solve the outfield problems? No, these are not guys that are going to take away playing time from Jake Fraley or TJ Friedel, or Stuart Fairchild. These are guys that are going to help solidify the roster and give the Reds a little bit of cohesion so that they don't make a lineup that is really taking guys out of their comfort zone, taking guys out of their strengths, and basically putting forth the wrong foot on a day when they're facing a left-handed pitcher or something like that. I I think that overall... We're looking for moves that support the guys who are currently on the roster because you want to know what you have in Jake Fraley. I don't think they acquired him in that Seattle Mariners deal simply because he was there. They want to see if he could be a piece for them here in the future. And in order to do that, you need to bring in somebody who can help put him in a better position and not take playing time away from him. So for everybody out there that's just like, okay, who cares about Adam Duvall and Robbie Grossman? Those guys aren't making the uh, helping the Reds make the playoffs this year. That's not the end game of 2023. 2023 is the setup 2024. If they fight for a playoff spot in 2023, that's just gravy. Robbie Grossman, Adam Duvall fit the plan for this offseason that Nick Crawl has for this team. Clearly. And clearly, you know, at the end of the day, Jake Fraley needs a platoon partner. Uh, Friedel will need a platoon partner. It's got to happen. These guys need platoon partners. And Jeff and I, we've told you exactly who we think the Reds should go for. Absolutely, Steve. And you know what? That's going to wrap us up because, yeah, there are some interesting options that are on this roster. And coming up tomorrow, we're actually going to look at the outfield continually and attempt to nail down just what it is we can expect from Stuart Bear child. That's going to be an interesting one because his sample size is not very big, but what we saw was encouraging. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen. For your next listen, check out Locked On Sports today. They've got the biggest stories of the day. They've got instant reactions to all the news, big game recaps, and they've got the take of the day as well. Locked On Sports today is just like Locked On Reds. It's free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, and just like Locked On Reds, it's produced by me. Steve, as we move through the offseason, it's clear the Reds still need to make a few moves. 
those few moves aren't necessarily going to put the Reds in playoff contention, but they are going to improve the overall feeling for 2023. So what's that mean for you and me? That means you and I are going to be dialed in on the rumors. We're going to be dialed in on the transactions. We're going to be dialed in on every time Nick crawl looks sideways at a camera to get all of the information, put it all together, all in one place and keep all of our viewers and listeners locked on reds every single day.